My goodness, what a night tomorrow could be in Pittsburgh for hockey fans. Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into football and or baseball, I also offer Daily Shots of Steelers and Pirates in the same place that you found this. It'll be Penguins versus Flames, but man, is that going to take a back seat to the pregame ceremony that's now officially scheduled to take place before the face-off commemorating Evgeny Malkin's 1,000th game that he achieved on the road Sunday night in Chicago. You can just imagine who's going to be down there at ice level partaking in this. The team's advising, by the way, if you have tickets to be in your seats at least 10 or 15 minutes before the scheduled puck drop, that being 7.08 p.m., it's going gonna, it's gonna to offer people a chance, I think, to express a specific and pointed level of appreciation just for Gino. And you want to know something? Over the years, that hasn't been easy to do, has it? Because it's always Sid and Gino, Sid and Gino. Um, in almost any setting, even including Stanley Cup playoffs, Stanley Cup finals. It's always been Sid and Gino, Sid and Gino. And you know who likes it that way? <laughs> yeah, Gino. And at the same time, he feeds off the crowd. He always has. He has a genuine and passionate affinity for Pittsburgh. Not manufactured, not because of this or that. You saw that with the way the contract situation played out this past summer. He was going to be the tough guy. He was going to be offended and everything else as it related to the amount that the Penguins were asking him to take and everything else here. But he was going to sign. He was just going to sign. And he did. And when he did, there was no fuss or muss about it. There was no, I'll show everybody this uh, or or anything to that effect. He just said, this is where I want to be. And it was his decision completely his decision, something that he's since confirmed. So for there to be one night, even just five minutes or whatever it's going to be of one night, in which the city can acknowledge, recognize, and applaud one of the greatest athletes Pittsburgh's ever seen in any sport. Yeah, that, that's, that's going to be something. You know, this portion of Daily Shot of Penguins is brought to you by the good people at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, where they're committed to providing food for all of our neighbors in need across Western Pennsylvania. They, in turn, need your help. Find out how one dollar can be turned into five full meals for those in need. Visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. Getting a little personal here, my own relationship with Gino obviously goes back to the beginning of his time here. Actually, technically speaking, it goes back to two days before the beginning of his official time in Pittsburgh because I'd met him two nights before the draft. There was a small room that they had the top prospects from this draft in, and probably not coincidentally, he was in one corner and... 
Alexander Ovechkin was in the other corner, and Ovechkin's got everybody in stitches, and everyone's laughing, and look at this guy. He's built like a tank. He's really funny. He's going to be this mega star. And there's Gino sitting on his stool in the other corner, just has his head down. You know the way he talks, right? And I thought, wow, these two couldn't be more different. And that turned out to be pretty true, you know, other than the whole Russian thing. But one also got the distinct sense that he wasn't about to take a back seat to Ovechkin in any capacity. And as we'd eventually see in his time in Pittsburgh, he wasn't going to do that with Sid either. Now, he likes, no, 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 he loves having Sid out front when it comes to the public, the media, and everything else. Uh, it's a, a famous and old line of his. Whenever reporters walk into the room, he points over to Sid and says, Sid over there, <laughs> as if we're all going to go running in that direction when we actually want to talk to him in a certain situation. But when it comes to performance, when it comes to rising above, I can also tell you that I was out at the NHL's awards ceremony. This was in Las Vegas, his memory serves. I don't you know, remember where all I bounce around. Uh, and where I've done so over the years, but it was not anywhere around here. And I had a chance to spend some good one-on-one -on -one time with him out there. This was the year that he won everything. He was MVP, uh, 50 goals, the whole deal. Just He just established himself as the guy in the NHL for that season. And he was very comfortable with that. He, he was okay with being recognized, and not in a cocky way or anything else, but with being recognized as the best player. There was nobody there, I can tell you right now, who was asking him questions about Sid or Ovechkin or anything else. He was the only one sitting at that particular table with those particular awards around him. I also can share with you that he had a really different vibe about him at the Sochi Olympics, which I covered as well. Um, he was serious to the extreme. It was almost uncomfortable to be around him. In fact, in one specific instance that I'm not going to get into, it was actually really uncomfortable to be around him. But when he went out onto the ice, his competition was with Ovechkin, which was really wild considering they were actually on the same line. They were trying to do things to the opponent that no humans should try. And considering that the opponent on one of those nights was Team Slovenia, which was basically Andrzej Kopitar and a handful of dudes off the streets of Ljubljana, <laughs> he, he was able to get away with almost all of it. It's a very, very strange, is dichotomy the right word? I don't know. I don't script this thing. If it is, it is. If it isn't, you know what I'm saying here. Between how Gino welcomes being in Sid's shadow and at the same time has always wanted to make sure it's understood that he is his own guy, achieving his own achievements and doing so in his own inimitable manner. With me, he has always been the consummate professional. Over all these years and all these different settings in which I've covered him, 
Uh, I can't express enough of my own appreciation, not just for his cooperation, but also just for who he is and for uh, for making me laugh. And for that one night in Calgary a few years ago when he went down to block a shot to uh, basically by doing so to, to beat the flames that night. And I didn't have a chance to interview him in the locker room, but as I'm heading back toward the press area, um, I see him walking toward the bus and I go, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, why'd you do that? And instead of just smiling or acknowledging the joke and continuing on, he turned around and he walked back to me and gave me this whole passionate explanation about this play that he felt embarrassed about earlier in the season, that he would never allow that to happen again, that he was never going to be that irresponsible again, that he was going to do whatever he had to do to keep the Flames from scoring there. I'll share the link with you. If you check out where this podcast is posted, I'll, I'll go into comments and share you the link from that column. He's something. He's And, and he's his own something. And tomorrow night's going to be something as well. When we come back, J1Q. John, who asks, hey, DK, to go along with the great trip the Penguins just had, how have you felt about the consistent performance and impact of Brock McGinn, specifically in correlation with the third line and his spark that he's provided the Penguins from time to time? I presume, John, at the end there, you're referencing the goals that he's picked up of late. He's done well. He's kind of got a habit of doing that in the first halves of seasons. This goes back to his time in Carolina. That's really my overarching concern with McGinn. He does a lot of different little things well, things that coaches appreciate more than the rest of us, but he also can put it away. I mean, that was a coming up the left wing like that, Michel Goulet-looking slap shot that he put past the Chicago goaltender. He's he is what he is. He he's a decent third line winger, and he's a conscientious and effective penalty killer. That's really what you want out of your bottom six more than anything. Get the occasional goal and block shots, eat pucks, make sure that the PK is hovering up somewhere near ninety percent. The thing that's bugged me about McGinn unfortunately, did play out again last season. And I'd been told about that in advance. And it was like, yeah, you'll see. He'll fall off in the second half. He'll fall off. No, 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 this is different. You know, sometimes guys, this is me, sometimes guys come to Pittsburgh and they just, they feel that freedom and all those things that we used to say, even going back to the Mario days. The old Alexei Kovalev, Robert Lang lines, oh, here they come into Pittsburgh and they're just magically freed from the shackles of so-and-so tyrannical coach that they had somewhere else. And McGinn did exactly what he's always done. He fell off, fell off a cliff, really didn't even exist 
in the second half of the season, and then he was an outright liability in the playoff series against the Rangers. So I'm not going to get super excited about seeing anything that I see from him right now. A lot like the people who are skeptical of Tristan Jari in the playoffs, I'd like to see McGinn have a strong second half and then have a strong playoff before going too far. The other thing about this that makes me, can you sense that I'm kind of cringy on this subject? Well, I am. And it's because I haven't liked the third line at all. And, you know, sometimes you can look at advanced analytics and get thrown in one direction or the other from where the reality needle should be. But the analytics on the third line, meaning McGinn, Jeff Carter, and Danton Heinen have been horrific. And that includes through this trip. And that's saying something. When the rest of your team is playing its very best hockey and your third line is at a virtual zero, that's a tough thing to just explain away. I'm tempted to blame that on Carter because I'm tempted to blame a lot of things on Carter and his seeming lack of interest or lack of energy in defending. And I also happen to really like Heinen and kind of like McGinn, at least this time of year. So if the third line were to become a thing, you would see the Penguins roll out their most consistent uh, two-way play up front that you'd have seen in quite some time. Because we're already seeing it for the most part, especially with the return of Teddy Bluger. They've gotten good hockey out of Ryan Paling and Josh Archibald, but it's not there for the third line. Don't get overly influenced by someone skating down the left side and blowing a shot past a goalie. That doesn't mean they're playing really, really well. It just means they got a goal. There's a long way to go for that third line in general. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We'll do another one of these tomorrow. (laughs) 